Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I am so excited today to have a conversation about AI uh, and to explore that in terms of classroom practices, both for educators uh, who are supporting teachers and maybe uh, starting to think about what it means to expose our students to uh, some of those AI tools, generative AI tools. Uh, and I can think of nobody better than Heather Brantley to invite to this conversation, uh, not only because I know her passion for this work uh, from having had the chance to chat with her about this, uh, but also given the wealth of support that past guests on the show, like uh, Jamie Donnelly and also Mary Alice Curran uh, have both pointed us in Heather's direction. So I'm so grateful she's taking some time today to chat with us on the pod. So Heather, welcome to the Good Life EDU. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Excited to learn from you today. And so Heather works at Pine Tree ISD with seventh and eighth graders, and she's a technology seer. And so I'm just going to set that up and let her kind of explain what that role is at Pine Tree. Okay, so I am a seventh, eighth grade, and I have kind of three titles there. I'm a technology teacher. I help not only implement technology for students, but also for faculty members across the district. I am doing CTE classes to do that career preparation for them and SEER. So SEER stands for Communication, Engineering, Entrepreneur, and Robotics. So they are known as like the school within the school. So we have this group of students who are outside of the box thinkers, and we give them that outside of the box opportunity to learn and explore. And you got to just love that. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. So it's about giving kids a safe place to learn, keep up to date with today's technologies, and also building those relationships, which if my biggest takeaway from being an educator is if you build those relationships with them, you will learn about their needs, their desires, and how to help guide them in the direction that they need to go on an individual basis. Every student learns different, so we meet those needs individually. Oh, I absolutely love that too. That's at the heart of, well, I think everybody's work a little bit, right? Like treating students as the individuals that they are, uh, recognize them for that, give them a little space to shine and to grow too uh, with those strengths. And um, what is your backstory in education? I think it's a kind of, uh, that's a, a pretty cool role that you're in right now. Uh, but what has kind of been your career arc a little bit that's led you uh, to this place? Well, I was a stay-at-home mom when my kids were little and big into the PTO, into the community aspect of education, doing yearbook, lots of fun things. And as my kids got older and my time became more available, I started teaching in the classroom. I started out as an ISS teacher, which helped me learn about those relationships. And then I moved into the math classroom and I was there for 11 years before I moved into the role of technology. And the reason I got the technology is for the fact that I felt that the immersive classroom was so important. And that's where my journey with Jamie Donnelly has came in. Jamie had some really great resources and I was like, hey, can we try that? Can we do that? So the next thing we're doing Global Maker Day. And I realized that presenting this for the whole world and taking what's happening in my classroom and showing other teachers, you can do this. And it's not hard, it's not hard at all. And you should do this. So giving your students that voice outside of the classroom, 
kind of brought me into where I am now. Now I'm presenting. I have started Heather Tech EDU. So I am going out into the world as many opportunities as I can get to show other educators how to safely use immersive technology, including AI in the classroom, and how to help your students have a voice and for them to showcase. Because what's happening inside of these classroom walls around the world is phenomenal. And I think that we need to showcase that more for other educators to see that there is a great community out there that they can be a part of and their students can have that voice. So going into that entrepreneur, where are these students going and how do we guide them there? That is so much at the heart of what I'm hoping to do with the podcast as well is within the state, our ESUs, uh, just to speak to our network a little bit, have so many great people that are doing great work and support regionally. And so hopefully we get a chance to reach people in those respective regions. They're called ESCs, I think, in Texas. Yes. So love that. Love connecting folks so they can reach out and feel part of community and support it and be inspired by those around them. And then uh, when we have folks in from across the country or even across the world, like we just had Eric from CurePot on not too long ago, uh, hopefully exposing them to new ideas, to new tech, to new ways of thinking uh, is just something that I love inviting people into and making a little space for. So thanks for pointing us a little bit more to some of that immersive tech. And some of those resources, like we just mentioned with Jamie Donnelly too. So we have a past episode from this past March that you can access to learn more and check out some of the things that she does. But so you got tied in with this crew, right? I did. <laughs> They're my, my learning community. So I believe it is so important for you to develop a learning community, people that will support you, help bounce out that ideas off of you. I also think that it is important for you to reach out because I have found personally that when I don't know something and I'm a lifetime learner and I want to know when you reach out and ask Twitter has been a great place for me to reach out like, Hey, how can I learn more about this? A lot of companies and experts in those areas, they have the information they're eager to get. So I believe that all educators should be brave and step out and say, hey, how can I do that in my classroom? Where do I get the resources? And is there someone who can walk beside me to help guide me through that? And I love when educators are open to being the person that helps support, guide, give that feedback from their expertise. You're fulfilling that role here for somebody else being on the podcast today. So uh, that being said, you do have a hashtag that you started what around January, we said before the podcast started, we were talking about this a little bit. So could you maybe speak to that and where that has sort of guided some of your efforts and support of your students? Okay, so I discovered the generative AI early on. Canva actually came out with it, published as Magic Right before ChatGPT did. So I was already kind of dabbling in it. And then I realized pretty quick that most schools around the world, they didn't know what this chat GPT was. So their instant thing was, we're going to block it from everyone. We're just blocking it. All the generative AI components, they're not going to be available. And I understand I had questions. I was like, why are we blocking it? What's the purpose of that? And with that, I came up with the hashtag of guide them, not block them. Because I don't think that blocking is going to always be the correct answer. And if we are having to put that through the filter system to protect our students, we need to provide to them the why behind it. Because their curious brain is going to go out there outside of the school network and they're going to go play with it. So 
if it is something that is going to be impactful for them, they need to understand the whys that are happening, the choices that we are made are for a protection of them. So I learned about ChatGPT. According to ChatGPT, it is not intended for those under the age of 13. So they actually have an age restriction the company does. So let's go back into the movies. If it's PG-13, we're not taking it to the kindergarten classroom. There's just an ethics there. There's a reason it has the 13. So then to go a little deeper into it, ChatGPT has to have a username to set up. So it's something that ties that account to the students. Well, we're not going to go down the street into a convenience store and pick up a random stranger and bring them back into our classroom and say, hey, why don't you answer questions that my kids have? And we're going to hope that you're not biased, that you're going to have all the correct information and you're going to be that learning tool for my students. I'm not going to do that with a human. So at the same time, I'm not going to go grab some machine learning that does have bias. It is proven. It tells you when you join, like, hey, guess what? We're not perfect and our information is not perfect. Well, if we are working through digital citizenship with students, we still want them to be aware of these programs like ChatGPT, what they do, how they work, and inform them of why it's not a safe practice for them to use at their age or in the classroom and the whys behind it. So if they're above the age of 13, I believe that it's a choice within the parent and the home. And I think we, we also as educators and as a community need to be educating our parents about these programs, what the restrictions are, why there's restrictions there. So they're aware of it as well. For my classroom, I wanted my students to see what ChatGPT and Po.com both were. So I pulled them up on the big screen and my account, so it's under my information, I am guiding them with my expertise of what is safe practice for them. And I had them ask questions. And the coolest part about it is we played with the program for about 15 minutes before a student raised their hand and said, Ms. Brantley, is this cheating? So they realized the learning tool that it was and the ways that they could use it to help improve the critical thinking, to be creative. They understood that it's more than just a cheating tool. However, for us that were, we were blocking it per se and the students thought it was only a tool used for cheating because we're blocking it. So I think that blocking them and not giving them the why and the explanation made them look at it as a, a tool that it wasn't really intended for. Wow, there's a lot in there to piggyback on is what I would do with this. I had the good fortune not too long ago to head to Lincoln, Nebraska and speak to a group of juniors and seniors at a Cornhusker Boys State event about AI. And I asked the room, uh, just to kind of give us a little bit of a regional context, how many of you have used ChatGPT for a homework assignment? Uh, there's like 100 people in the room, 97 folks, raise their hand. Uh, and so it's very much to your point that we'll block this all we want. They're still going to access this, use this, use this for academic purposes. And I think that that whole framing that you shared there of while you could leverage this as something to represent ideas that aren't yours and conclusions, uh, cheating essentially, right? There are also ways that this could supplement your efforts and extend what you're capable of. And I'd love to that you're keying in on that age range. I know in a conversation that we had not too long ago with Matt Miller, we were kind of framing too about like, if you had a calculator, right? Like 
I almost think about that as it pertains to the writing process with using something like ChatGPT, where when you're coming up and through, you learn the basics of math and math facts and different strategies for solving different, let's say, multiplication problems, for example, so that when you get to a point and you get the calculator out, you at least have the fundamentals down of how it works to get to there. And I think about the same with writing. You know, obviously, I uh, would love to see learners develop skills and a sensibility and the articulation of words and sentences and structural paragraphs. And then there comes a point where you can have ChatGPT enhance what you're able to do and in kind of an interplay between that and what you're doing. And I think modeling is really important. Back to, and there's so finally to put a bow on it <laughs> with you on that. So yeah. can you speak a little bit more to some of those types of scenarios, I guess? Okay. So for me, this is a learning tool. We see it as a learning tool. ChatGPT is not safe for them, but was there something else? So I did look, research, and I found Codebreaker Byte. So Codebreaker Byte is a web-based. You do not have to put in any information. It's not tracking the student. And it gives them a place to play with this platform for them to put in the questions and to see how that generative AI works and how the questions build upon questions and the curiosity keeps going. So it is a great tool to use to guide students with. And this is what I tell my students. I don't have good students in my class. I have great students in my class. So for me, generative AI does good work. It's a baseline for good work. I don't want good work. I want great work. So use generative AI because you already understand what the writing process is, correct? So on that older group going into middle school, fifth grade and above, they've learned the foundations. Use generative AI, create good work, and then make your voice shine in it and make it great work. So it's just a starting point. We give them writing prompts all the time to say, hey, start here, build something. Generative AI does the same thing. Here's your starting point. It's good, but you're great. I want excellence out of you. So when you set those higher standards and these kids are looking at this as a tool that they're going to use to kind of get going on it, and what's even better is after you're finished, I want you to go put it back in there and ask it to compare and contrast the one it started with to the one you just created. Let it give you the feedback. So Codebreaker Byte at this point is the only one that I've been able to find, doesn't collect any data. It is user-friendly and it was designed for education. The whole purpose that it was in there was for education. So I think that teachers also, there's a lot of great AI tools for me to use and I don't hide it from my students. CuriePod is one of the ones that I started using back in January as well. A phenomenal product that they have given and they are growing, they're listening to teachers, they're listening to students on what the needs are. One of my first CuriePod lessons in my classroom, I created in front of my students. And then I talked about, is this accurate information? Are the images matching? What could we do different? And as a class, we built the lesson and then we were able to go in and do the lesson together. So if you have not heard about CuriaPod, that is something that as an educator, you're missing out. They have got some great products. And if you want to explore that, that is something that is excellent for you to do. I have actually advised a lot of administrators. This is a great way for you to start your school year with a faculty meeting is using CuriPod with your faculty so they can see that interaction that the student piece looks different from the teacher piece. And the entire time, 
the teacher has a way to look at what the students are doing and monitor that so it's done in a safe platform and it's not collecting student data. It's not logging in with an email. They're logging in kind of like with Kahoot with a number. They're joining a group without giving away their information. So that is a way that I can model what AI looks like and how I use it for my students to see where their future is going and the things that they'll be able to do themselves with AI. That's awesome. That I, I love that thought too, because I do think that as we get into the end of summer, which I hate to say it already, I like to want to hear that, but it's already July. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that school leaders are, I think, going to need to make sure that they're having conversations about how they're going to think about these tools for teachers and for students. And so great that maybe CurePod is a way to give them an example that can be communicated in a pretty timely fashion and maybe as a staff to generate some of those. So love that as a suggestion. I have a question for you. Uh, so a couple episodes ago, as I mentioned earlier, Eric from CurePod was on the podcast and he said that he got a chance to spend a couple of weeks in the States traveling around and Texas was one of the places that he visited. Did he come to your me. area? Okay. I was just no, checking. I didn't know if we were connecting stories here. Like... I know. I wish it was. Um, I did get to meet Eric and Ann both at ISTE and make that connection. We have done face-to-face -face Zooms over a period of time and talking about ways of implementing it into the classroom. They actually got to come watch me present on it and share out. So it was great that they were at ISTE and I can say the greatness that you're playing with because Nothing is better than being with a group of educators learning and watching the smiles on their faces. That's what we want in our classroom. So if I can make you as a teacher light up, think about those faces that you're going to have in your classroom. And my students, when it came to CurryPod, they were like, Ms. Brantley, is today the day we play CurryPod? I'm like, no, not today. They're like, why not? I'm like, okay, so if you're really well, we'll do a little quick lesson at the end of the classroom. And they would, they were totally engaged. They loved that. It was an easy to use platform for the classroom. So CurryPod, I want all teachers to know about it and see how it can help them. Once again, you know, there are good teachers and there are tools to make them great teachers. And this would be another tool. Canva is another one that has magic, right? Canva is free for educators. With the teacher account, Canva has the magic components built in there. So teachers are able to use those time-saving, those generative ways to make it to where their lessons are implemented. Teachers are able to model that from their account to the students. But however, because the student is using that single click to get in there and they are every student account is linked to them because of protection, we cannot have all those magic components built into the student account. So Canva is protecting our students. They are looking out, they understand the laws, the rules. So Canva for Education is free. It is great tool for teachers, but it has its place for students. And we need to be aware of that. We can show our students, hey, in a pro account or in a personal account, these are available. But in your school account, using your school information, they're not. And this is why. I think the explaining the why behind it. This is why we are not allowing you. It's not as much we are blocking you. We are protecting you. And I think that students need to understand that there's a protection layer there. And going back to, you know, with Mary Alice, with digital citizenship, if we start our students out at the beginning of the year, introducing them to digital citizenship, 
I had students who did the pillars for our global showcase and it was a student voice of what that looked like. And it was really great to hear them say, especially the unplug part, you know, there's a time and a place for technology and they need to understand we're not trying to be mean adults. We're not trying to ruin their lives. We're trying to protect them and to teach them how to be successful. And understanding the digital citizenship components of AI helps them develop that product in a safe way. It helps them become a engaged, inclusive, informed, alert, balanced, and an impactor. So we're able to give all of those pillars in because we're guiding them through it instead of expecting them to know it. I would never give the car keys to a 10 year old and say, have at it. There's a safety reason behind all of that. There's a reason that there's a 13 age limit. Their brains are not developmentally there yet. They don't have the foundations. So it is our job as educators to give them the foundations. Okay, so I'm gonna also give another example of a way that we should be guiding them and having conversations with students. A lot of students, even though they probably should not be because of age restrictions, but a lot of students are on Snapchat. Snapchat has an AI friend. And I don't think they understand what's really happening with the AI friend. And I think that as educators and as parents, we need to be having those conversations with students to protect them, to guide them. The AI friend, it's going to be biased. It is going to be a machine learned, but it's not an expert about you. It's not a doctor. The best example I gave my students in my classroom was every time I have a new symptom with my health and I Google it, I'm gonna die. I mean, it's just, there's no other way around it. I have the worst case scenario and I'm gonna die. I got that because the computer generated the information that it knew from the little bit of information I gave it and it diagnosed me. That computer is not a doctor. That computer does not have the credentials to diagnose me. And when you have an AI friend and it is on a computer system that could be biased and you're using that, you're not talking to an expert in that field that is a professional that has the good for you in mind. It has not got the capabilities to be empathetic. It may be trained to be appearing as empathetic, but it is not a human being. And I think that we really need to make students aware of the dangers of playing with things like that and giving it its personal information. Because once again, going back to we're protecting our students in their privacy, but that Snapchat account is hooked to an email that is hooked to that child and they're feeding it so many personal things that it has no business knowing. So I think once again, educating our community, it's not about just educating the child, it's about educating the faculty members about what's happening. It's about educating parents. I'm a lifetime learner, I'm still learning every day. And I want those people in my community to come to me and say, hey, have you heard this? Are you aware of this? So having those conversations with your learning community and your school, talk to your administrators. Why are we blocking these programs? If you're not sure, ask them why, and then see, is there something that we can do as a district to guide our group through this and with the explanation of the why? Because students are curious, and 
I know myself, if you told me not to do something as a child, I was going to go get curious and find out why. Why can I not? So give them the why to help protect them instead of them just going out and exploring it. I love the myriad of suggestions and insights and opportunities to model. And I think that all of those are there. And and I also love to, and it's funny because right before you went into the list of things, I was like, this sounds a lot like that digital citizenship component and staying alert and staying informed. And so I, I couldn't uh, agree more with your sentiments there too, that that is just so critical. And as someone who works with technology with students on a consistent basis, uh, I would imagine that not only coming through the spring semester, but as you're gearing up for the fall, just finding places to be intentional about building these in, got to be at the forefront of thoughts. And is there anything at ISTE that you feel like supplemented that or came around that or energized you or or maybe it was a, oh yeah, we're going to add that piece too. Absolutely. So at ISTE, it was an opportunity for us to build that learning community as adults together. So we were getting to, not only when you go to a session or you're around the conversations of some incredible people who are experts in their area, you need to make those relationships. Going back to my students learn best from me whenever they know I'm invested. So let's find other people who are also invested in the, the whole community learning, not just an individual one person. One of the biggest reasons that I do what I do is, okay, I can reach 100 kids in my classroom. But if I can go reach other educators, I can reach hundreds and thousands of kids around the world. And if we are learning and we have a great tool that we need to share, we need to put that out there and share it. I don't like selfish people who like, oh, this is great. I'm going to only do it in my classroom. Well, your kids are great, but what about all the kids? Why are not all the voices being heard? So I think that my big takeaway from ISTE was building those communities having those relationships, gaining the newest things, like walking around on the floor with the expo. You have all these companies and all these great products. And it's a great time to ask, like, what's the foundation of your product? How is it impacting students? So conversations, Twitter is a great network. So I actually have made lots of contacts on Twitter myself. You included, we're, you know, now Twitter friends, we got to meet face-to-face -face at ISTE. So that's one of the great things about the conference is you are learning and hearing about the greatness happening around the world. And this is an opportunity for everybody to come together, meet and have those conversations face-to-face. -face. And we all have the heart for kids. We all are wanting what's best for kids. So develop your community. If you do not have one, just start asking questions. There are other people who don't have one either who would love to be a part of your community. Community is huge for me. So ISTE, there was a lot of that hot conversation about AI and how to implement it and all of these new programs. And for me, it goes back to, are we introducing it with the foundation of digital citizenship? Mary Alice has that done out really well with Digital Citizenship Institute. I'm actually working with Mary Alice on Let's do a digital citizenship for AI component. So we will be having that coming out here soon. So that way we can help share the, with the world, like the best way to guide these students into this area safely. Wow. 
I'm so grateful that you all are leaning into that work because I do think that it's so important. And as you said, it comes down to asking questions and having conversations, uh, especially at the moment with where the evolution of this technology is as it pertains to our classrooms. We need each other to help figure out collectively and for the betterment of kids <laughs> where this is going to go because I, you know, I have a 12 year old and a nine year old at home and they, their future is going to be significantly impacted by their ability to leverage these types of tools to enhance the work that they're able to do in whatever future career they're going to uh, embark on. And I want them to be safe today, right? And I want them to be informed ongoing, but I also want them to develop the skills and the point of reference to understand how these things can help. And, and so I love that there's folks like yourselves out there doing great work in that space. And so with that being said, guide them, not block them, right? It's gone full circle here, Heather. Absolutely. So that hashtag is in so many ways what has kind of led me to do Heather Tech EDU because the kids are curious. They're naturally curious. What are we doing to protect them? and give them the best education because their future doesn't look like your kids. The jobs that they may have are jobs that may not even be created. Jobs that we have now, AI is going to make them obsolete. We know that is coming. So definitely hashtag guide them, not block them. Grab a learning community. Never stop learning. Be that lifetime learner because we want that for our students. And modeling that is the best. The guiding them is you modeling that in your classroom. Gosh, I appreciate you guiding all of us today through today's conversation uh, and through those supports, whether folks follow you on social media or reference your site. Uh, and I know the Digital Institute as well and uh, collaborative efforts there because uh, it is, it is so much about community and like we just mentioned, coming around this effort together. So uh, thanks for being on the pod. And I hope as this Thank conversation you. continues to evolve, we can have you back at some point in time uh, to share out more as we grow together. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.